Well, here we are. Episode 7. After what was a quiet beginning to the week in the world of football, it really kicked off to the end, towards the end of the week. So, we've really got a lot to get into, haven't we? Yep, another another good week of football. Yeah. As always, I'm Ross Evans and I'm here with my co-host Dan Newton. Hello. Well, let's start unpacking this. Right, well, I guess we've got to start with the international football. Yep. Um, England have played twice in the last week. Obviously, a 3-0 friendly win against Wales. Yeah. Um... Which I, I correctly predicted. The yes, 3-0 win. It was exceptional performance from Grealish. Yeah, he, he really showed why he should be in that squad and maybe why he should be starting. But uh, yeah. we'll get on to that into the next game. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's t- difficult to get too overhyped about a friendly. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, it was a, a much-changed Wales side as well. Yeah. It was, you know, England's kind of... B side, I guess. Yeah. So you know, it, it won't have shown you know exactly what that team is about, but uh, I mean, a win's a win, and it's always good to build confidence and give your fringe players more time on the pitch. Yeah, and um, yeah, Wales much changed side. So they don't have the same sort of depth of quality that England would have. You you know, you still get a solid uh, team out of it. The sort of the England B string, yeah. as it were. Whereas Wales, you are starting starting to look at championship the odd league one player aren't you it's not quite yeah, a star-studded no, team they don't it? have the, you know the luxury of being being able to pick you know a full 11 from the premier league or from the european leagues you know they no gareth bale no aaron ramsey yeah no joe allen none of those players a couple of injuries as well wouldn't yeah they, so. so i mean it, it is what it is for wales you know they don't have the greatest uh, luxury players right now with yeah. injuries and things but um like i said it was a decent performance from, yeah. from england um, good for uh, Connor Cody to get a goal and yeah. Calvert-Lewin as well I think I think Connor Cody and Grealish as well Calvert-Lewin we know has been incredible form for the uh, beginning of the season uh, it's good to see Connor Cody solid performance against Wales and Grealish an excellent performance against Wales so can you explain to me why Southgate didn't start either of them <laughs> against Belgium yeah, well, um, as I think there's a lot of questions about why Southgate does or doesn't pick players. Um, I can't explain it. I think they should have been starting, probably. Um, yeah. Especially considering the team he did put out and the formation. It was just very negative and very boring to watch. Yeah, I mean, it worked. We England beating Belgium 2-1. Neither of us predicted that. We predicted no. Belgium win. Belgium, of course, are ranked number one in the world. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's. I mean, let's. I think we've got to talk about the dire penalty situation, and I mean dire as in the player, not as in it was horrific. Although it was, yeah. Um, Lukaku had him on strings, didn't he? He did, and you know Lukaku, you know, he's a great player, and he showed that against England. He really showed maybe why Man United shouldn't have let him go. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it was poor defending from England and. To be honest, in that first half, I think Belgium will be disappointed that they didn't score more. Yeah. And I think they'll be disappointed in their performance overall. Yeah. Belgium should have scored three or four, maybe, in the first half alone. Yeah, you know, they had the chances, but it's one of those things, if you don't take them, then against a side like England, that can be, you know, grinding out results. Yeah. You are going to be open to a bit of bad luck, which they did get. Yeah. But the the equaliser, England getting a penalty... Soft, do you think? or um, I think it's soft, but it is a penalty. I think yeah. if that happened for most teams, they'd want it to be given as a penalty. But um, it, it was more just a stupid decision from the defender. Yeah. Like, you know, Henderson was nowhere near the ball. He just pulled yeah. him back like that. You know, it's 
like, it's like diaries, you know, it's just stupidity. Yeah. Do you think that the noise that Henderson made, having no fans in the stadium, so the ref can clearly hear him screaming, do you think that makes it more, it's more likely that penalty's going to get given? Um, I mean, possibly. I, I think the ref would probably have given it anyway. You know, I, I think it's less about screaming and it's just the, the throwing himself to the floor. Yeah. It, you know, that's what that's what the ref see. It wasn't a lot. It did look like there was definitely a hand on his shoulder. And yeah. It def- there was a, a pullback, but he it did look, he did sort of make a meal of it, didn't he? Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's football, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you do that to any player, they're going to throw themselves over. Yeah. And then the second goal from Mason Mount, deflected and looping over... Mignolet. Yeah. I'm sure Southgate was very happy. His, yeah. uh, his best boy, Mason Mount, getting yeah. the luckiest of goals. It was, you know, Mason Mount always hits them well when you got a little bit of luck. And even though England were a lot better in the second half, weren't they? They looked. Yeah, yeah, England did look better. They but, looked quicker, um, they looked sharper, some tweaks to the system. Um, it was interesting with that system. Again, lack, potentially a lack of creativity in the mil- in midfield playing. Yeah two holding midfielders in Henderson and Rice and then Rice and Phillips. Um, but then it's, you know, you got Mason out on the wing and yeah. I, mean, I, I don't mind Mason out, but he's just not a winger, is he? Like, no, certainly not a right-sided winger. He's much yeah. better once he moved over to the left. Ironically, yeah. Rashford then became ineffectual and Sancho not coming on, I think, to the 88th minute. Yeah, he came on very late, which we can talk about that in a minute, but it was just a very odd decision to yeah. bring him on so late because obviously he was on the bench as a, as a punishment for... Yeah. The stuff we talked about last week, but if you want to punish him, then don't put him in the squad at all. Yeah, you know, if you're gonna put him in the squad, then you might as well play him. And Southgate, I don't know if it's discipline or is he just becoming a bit of an FA yes man? He's just doing anything to keep him happy. I mean, I think that's why he got the job originally, wasn't it? You know, he's a, a safe, you know, not going to cause too much of a fuss. Yeah, try and get the job done as best as he can but he's not the kind of manager to go in and ruffle feathers you know no. he's never Jose Mourinho put it that no. way he's rattled by Jose Mourinho <laughs> that's probably why Kane didn't start <laughs> no he's I mean look Southgate you know he seems like a very nice guy and he did a decent job at the World Cup but um, I think when you look at the quality in that England squad I think a much more progressive manager would be getting a lot more out of them yeah um, did you notice in this the three four three system that they're um playing with at the moment did you did you spot any other issues I spotted one or two certainly in the first half that did continue into the second half not as heavily but I, you know, do you think there's still a couple of issues with that system I, yeah I think it is it wouldn't be the system I play I don't no. think it gets the best out of um, that England squad you know we always talk about we have an abundance of attacking midfielders Yeah. and you got to play a formation that doesn't include attacking midfielders Yeah. you know it's very strange um, and I, I think England really struggled in the transitions from defence yeah. to attack and it's okay when you want to counter-attack teams and kind of go a bit longer but yeah. in terms of holding on to possession and developing the play I thought they were really poor I was I was a little bit concerned but it was more apparent down the England's right-hand side so Trent Alexander-Arnold's side I thought Trippier did really well on the left considering he's playing on the wrong side of the pitch Yeah, but it became apparent that Alexander Arnold isn't the quickest. Like he's still quick. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but there are a lot of times where there's where he's joined the attack and left a gap, like he does for Liverpool. Like Aston Villa took, um, like play took advantage of so well. It leaves a space in behind. 
which is why I kind of agree with Carl Walker playing as that right centre-back in the threes, because his recovery speed can cover that. Yeah, he's got the pace to cover it. And that gives time uh, for Trent to retreat and get back. So I think I'm not as concerned about Walker playing as a centre-back. I think he can do a decent job there, provided yeah. he stays well, especially, focused especially for Especially in game. the back three as well. Yeah. And as long as he stays focused, because that's where I think his issue is, he just sometimes loses his focus occasionally. Yeah, he switches off. But if... In that system, if Trent's going forward and supporting the attack, as he always does, that leaves a gap in there. And I think if you play someone a centre-back who's not as quick, like apart from Joe Gomez, I don't think England's centre-backs are blessed with pace. No, they're not. That could create a real issue against yeah. rapid wings. Carrasco had some joy down there. Even De Bruyne went down that left side for a while. And it's always dangerous with De Bruyne on the ball. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's just part of the formation, isn't it? You know, When you play three at the back wing-backs, there is always going to be that pocket of space between the outside centre-backs and, and the wing-backs. You know, the, the team I watched in club football play that kind of formation and that's where we get exposed. Yeah. You know? So it, it is a problem um, in the system. And for me, I'd rather us go over back four and, you know, 4-3-3, yeah. f- three, three, something like that. Yeah. Get a number 10 in there, you know. I think that's where England's strengths lie. Yeah. You know, it's not in centre-backs. So why are we playing three of them? Yeah. It's, it's a very... It's a defence... A very defensive formation. Being interesting to see how we do against Denmark, yeah, and if we'll stick with that system because I think Denmark. I don't think Denmark are going to come out and attack us. No, they'll make it difficult for England. Yeah, um, I mean Denmark have some decent players, but you yeah. know England need to show that they can take hold of a game and be kind of the, the dominating force. Yeah, and not just be hitting teams on the counter attack. Yeah, because or at set pieces. I don't think we'll get many counter attacking opportunities against Denmark. No, I'd so be surprised. I'd be interested. I'm interested to see what uh, Southgate goes for. Having said that, what is your prediction for the England Denmark game? Um, you know, I will back England with this one. I think they should win it, and it will be a shock if they don't. Um, yeah. But I think if Southgate goes with the back three again, and you know he doesn't play Sancho or Grealish, then I think it'll maybe be like two 0 to England. Yeah. You know? If he does, you know, take a few more risks, put the creative players in there, it could be more. But yeah. I don't expect much from this game. No, I'd agree with you. I was going to go 2-0 as well. I think I think Southgate will stick to that formation. Um, as much as I don't want him to, I'm not a massive fan of it. Like, yeah. I agree with you that it doesn't make... The, England got so many talented players in specific positions. Yeah. Um, you know, there's almost a bit of a childlike FIFA-esque decision making oh my defence is a bit frail I'll just throw on another defender yeah it's... there's got to be something else that you can do than just plug a hole you know it's like just plug the hole with another defender and lose a midfielder it's, it's, it's not how it works it's, yeah. <laughs> that's a FIFA tactic yeah no yeah. Uh, we need someone with a bit more I think creativity um, yeah from a managerial point of view to work out how to best you know get the best performances out of that squad yeah. and like I said we're not blessed with centre backs why are we putting more of them on the pitch let's you know let's play to our strengths try and dominate the ball a lot more and you know we've got enough attacking players to outscore a lot of teams Yeah. so let's play that way rather than trying to win 1-0 or 2-1 just, two, one just want to be entertaining to watch exactly and I think England are in a real danger of you know squandering what is a good crop of players right now yeah it's you know, and with so many of the our attacking players playing so well, particularly Calvert Lewin, Kane, yeah, Sancho, Sancho, um, Grealish, 
You know, yeah. if you speak of England's best players, you don't mention the defensive players really. No. If, you know, maybe that's because the attackers are more always more exciting to watch, and everyone wants you know, everyone wants to be the guy scoring the goals. You know, Jamie Carragher said that no one wants to be a Gary Neville. Well, no one really wants to be a Jamie Carragher either. Yeah. But um, everyone wants to be an attacking player. Yeah, everyone wants to be scoring goals. And and that's what they like to see. That's what we like yeah. to see in football. We don't like seeing a nil-niller. Yeah, I'd rather watch you know, a 4-3 than a 1-0. I think yeah. everyone would agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, only time will tell. Well, I think we look forward to the England game. England yeah, yeah. Game I mean, we... hopefully it'll get better. Yeah, hopefully. Well, from moaning about the England team, it, we're through the first sort of month yeah. of Premier League football now. Um, so we thought we'd pick our October, our sort of September October team of the month. Yeah, yeah. So there's all the players that we think have kind of performed the best so far. Um, some similarities. I think we've got a couple of differences. Um, I think it's hard to pick an eleven because there has been some really outstanding performances yeah. this month. I certainly struggle with picking goalkeeper and defence. There's been so many goals in the Premier yeah. League and defensive mistakes and goalkeeping errors that to be the keeper or defence in team in a team of the month, particularly keeper, is did you not make a mistake? Because yeah. there's been quite a few of them. So, uh, if you do want to interact, please do let us know on Twitter what you think of these teams. These, our Twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast, so please do just Check us out, give us a follow, interact, see what, see what you think. Um, Dan, we'll start with yours. Uh, what formation are you playing, first of all? Well, I, I've gone with a 4-3-3. Um, I feel like I'm going to be talking about that formation every week so far. Um, it, you know, I think that'll be the standard one I go with if we do this again. Um, yeah, but it was tricky. I feel like maybe I should have included a second striker, um, which I know you have. Yeah. So, did you, you go with 4-4-2? I went 4-4-2, yeah. Okay. Um, more because such an abundance of attacking options I've been a bit cheeky and pushed wingers backers into the midfield um, to play a four four two to get more of them in yeah it's you know I'm not again I think that's it's partly because of for defensive midfielders with the way that the game's been played at the moment it's quite easy to bypass defensive midfielders yeah um I think if I did have to pick, he's not in the squad, but I think Fabinho's done pretty well as a defensive midfielder and then slotting into the back line. But because yeah. he's played, had sort of... He's played like couple, half games here. Half and, the games at centre-back, I, yeah. I couldn't include, because I wouldn't know where to play him. Yeah. See, um, I, I tried to kind of stick to the formation and kind of pick players for that, so yeah. we've done it slightly differently. Um, so sh- Shall I start then? Yeah, go for it. Okay, um, I'll start with the strikers first, because I yeah. think there's a bit of debate there. Um, so I've gone with... Uh, Son on the left, yeah. um, Harry Kane through the middle, and Mo Salah on the right. Yeah, I think we'd agree, agree with the wingers, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think I've got both Salah and Son in my midfield four, um, but I think going with Kane as well through the middle. Yeah, as we've seen for Tottenham, Kane and Son's link-up play so far this oh, season has been brilliant. It's been incredible. Yeah, it's been it's been really entertaining to watch. Yeah, I know you know Mourinho gets criticised for not being the most entertaining but yeah. I think when he has players that can play his kind of counter-attacking system yeah. they're really entertaining and Kane's shown his ability to create you rather than score you thought it'd been the other way round that maybe Son was creating for Kane but no I think Kane has been exceptional I, yeah. th- I can understand why Mourinho's been a bit um, shirty with Southgate yeah. why would you want to risk an injury to your star striker 
who's got such a brilliant partnership and is playing so well. Yeah, you I mean, especially after the last season where a big problem you know Spurs had was with injuries, and yeah. especially to players like Harry Kane and Son as well. Yeah. So I think you know he's going to wrap them up in cotton ball as much as possible. Yeah, I mean Salah was um got Salah as well. I mean he's looked hungry, he's looked direct. He was probably yeah. the only good thing in Liverpool's hammering from Aston Villa, scoring yeah. two goals. Um, it's what we've come to expect from him, isn't it? Yeah, he's very consistent now. Um, he's been playing brilliantly for a number of years, and yeah, he's doing a fantastic job for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I played four four two, so it's a bit tricky. Yeah. I've gone as my two strikers. I've gone for Harry Kane and Calvert Lewin. Yeah, and I'd probably obviously Calvert Lewin's top scorer in the league at the moment. He's been in exceptional form. What how I play sort of Kane in behind just in behind Calvert-Lewin because we've said Kane's pass incredible and Calvert-Lewin's aerial ability is thoroughly impressive oh yeah he's a he's a traditional striker yeah you know in the mould of you yeah, Alan Shearer type players you know he, he is a number nine yeah um, I mean you, it's difficult to argue with both either of our strike forces isn't it yeah yeah I mean the only lethal. player I think you know if I had a bench um, Calvert-Lewin would be the number one man on there yeah um I've just gone for Kane because I think his all-round game has been very impressive. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I, you know, I would have included him. I mean, you've got to go special mention. Danny Ings has been yeah, he's, impressive. He's continued his form. Um, Jamie Vardy, again, has also been impressive. Um, but those two, I think, are just the next step above, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. If this season continues, it's going to be a you know, a really interesting battle to see. Could have a, could have a comes goal out. fest of a season. Yeah, we really could. Um Midfield three, who do you go for in yours? Yeah, so obviously I went for sort of three central midfielders. Um, I went with Jack Grealish from Aston Villa. Yeah. I know he, he normally kind of plays sort of coming off the left, but, um, you know, he can play there. So yeah. I've, I've fitted him in there. Um, alongside him, I've got James Rodriguez. Yeah. I think that's difficult, you know, to argue with. I think he's been sensational. Yeah. Since he's come back. And I have gone with a more defensive midfielder in Calvin Phillips for Leeds. Yeah. Who okay. I think is. You know, there's been a lot of goals conceded for Leeds, but I think if he wasn't in that team, they would have conceded even more. You know, I think he has done a good and job. Probably scored less. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he he is looking at every part of Premier League player. Yeah, and I've gone from midfield four. As I said, I've got Son and Salah playing left mid, right mid, mm-hmm. and in midfield I've gone for two attacking midfielders. It or attack one midfielders in De Bruyne and James Rodriguez. Screw you with James. He's been. Yeah. I think he's been instrumental to the revolution that. Ancelotti is um, bringing about at Everton. I think the money helps. He's, you know, he's been backed by the owners and he's been allowed to sort of bring in who you want. I think his name as well brings in some key players. Yeah, and I think when you have that kind of quality in your team, it raises the level of everyone else. Yeah. You know, if you're in a midfield of Hamas Rodriguez, you're going to want to perform because you want to stay in that midfield. Yeah. Um, De Bruyne is just a class player and a ropey, a ropey city side. Yeah, I mean, look, De Bruyne is, I think he's probably the best player in the Premier League in terms of just yeah. pure ability. Um, I haven't put him in my team just because I think him and City haven't had the greatest amount so far. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I think he he will perform yeah. to much higher levels as the season progresses. Yeah, De Bruyne looks, he just looks a class player. He he pulled, and we've been saying that for a while now, yeah, everyone yeah. has. He, he pulls the strings so well and it feels... It, the city's whole game, sh- I think, should be centered about what he could do. Yeah, it has He's to go. That for him. good. Yeah. Um, and obviously Salah and Son we've talked about already, but mm-hmm. 
touch on Rodriguez, both guys, like we say, he struggled at Real Madrid. Yeah, struggled to get game time. Do you think that was a form issue or a system issue? Um, I think it's, yeah, you know, a little bit of both. You know, I don't think it ever comes down to just one thing. You know, it's always difficult, you know, moving countries and everything. And yeah. I think, you know, that Real side at the time as well was such a good team that it was kind yeah. of hard to break into it and be like yeah. a leading player for them. But um, I think right now Everton, he's found a manager that really believes in him and a system that plays to his strengths. Yeah, yeah, he's, you know, I hope it continues because the attacking football on display is incredible. Oh yeah, it's fantastic it? to watch. So, I mean, we'll move on to the back four. Again, yeah. as we said, back four will include goalkeeper as well. And that, as we said, it's been difficult to pick the real standout defenders because there's been so many goals. Yeah, it has been hard. Um, yeah, very. I, th- I think I struggled with fullbacks as well. Yeah, because you know everything's been going through the strikers and wingers. You know. Yeah. Um, but um, if I start my my back four, I've gone with Andy Robertson and Liverpool. And you know, I think apart from the you know the Villa game, he's done well. He played well against Arsenal, especially. Yeah. Um, and then I've gone with uh, Mings from Villa. I think he's done a really good job, and yeah. um, I'm surprised you know he isn't in the England team more. And I've gone with Gabriel from Arsenal. Yeah. Who I think more because he's just adapted so well to the Premier League, and I I don't think you know we expected him to be so good already. I think he was kind of seen as maybe not the best centre-back signing by Arsenal. Yeah. And by that, I mean, they weren't expecting him to come in and start. Everyone knows he's a good player, but maybe for the next couple of years. But mm. no, I think he's done really well. And at right-back, I was really struggling to pick someone, so I went with uh, Serge Aurier from yeah. Spurs. More just because of the game against United. You know, I think he is a defensive liability, but... Uh, yeah. He's done well going going forward for Spurs, especially in their kind of weird kind of right back plays as a wing back system. They yeah. kind of overlap one way that Mourinho yeah. likes, but um, yeah, a bit of a struggle. But um, I think that's a decent back four. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Who who have you got in that? Well, I've gone for um, Martinez as well. Obviously, um, moved from Arsenal to Aston Villa. Yeah. Who, you know, I mean, he saved a penalty on his debut. Kind of hard to start much better than that, and I think yeah. he's he's shown that. He deserves to be starting and playing in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I agree with you and Gabriel. I actually think he's been a bit of a surprise package. Yeah. Well, we didn't, he's a young defender. We didn't really know what to expect from him. So I have gone with um, Gabriel at mm-hmm. centre-half. Um, I have also paired him up with a man from Aston Villa. I've gone for Esri Concer. Yeah, he he's played um, you know, I think just as well as Mengs. I think it's you know a bit of a toss of a coin between the two of them. Uh, he easily could have made my team as well. Yeah. Um fullbacks, you may have seen me scribbling to change one of them. <laughs> um left back I've gone for Digne from Everton. Again, I've yeah. said you know, he's been Everton's one of Everton's better defenders in a solid team. Yeah, he's done well. Um and he looks, you know, he looks shaky in parts of last season, but he looks more solid now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's always been good going forward. Yeah. I think the only question marks, I mean, much like Robertson in my team, is how well can he be defensively? Yeah. And I, I mean, think he's developed that side of part, his game a lot. Part a lot of the modern game now is for a fullback to be able to contribute well to the attacking phase of the game. Yeah. And I think he'd do that. But I think my other fullback, I was originally going to go for Alexander Arnold. He's 
st- obviously still performed well, but I think the real standout right back in the Premier League this season has been Lamptey from Brighton. That's a very good shout. Um, I think he's been brilliant defensively. Doesn't look out of place for a young player. And I think going forward as well, he's still very good. He's tricky to handle. He's quick. Um, his delivery isn't exceptional, but it's by no means the worst. Yeah. Um, I think he's been really good this season so yeah, far. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't really disagree with that. Um, I kind of forgot about him, to be honest. But, um... Yeah, it's tricky because, you know, no one thinks, especially after the last season... Brighton. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, yeah, no, he might he might get into my team now ahead of Aurea, but um, I'll leave it for now. But no, that, that's a really good shout. Yeah. And, um, and I've gone for Lloris in that. Partly, again, it's difficult to pick a keeper and it's kind of just pick one that hasn't conceded too many and hasn't made a mistake. Yeah. So, keepers, I think we'll find out sort of more. Yeah, as the, the season goes on, you know, they, the they start to establish themselves. Who, yeah, who are the sort of top performing keepers? Uh, but yeah, I, th- I still think that Lamptey is overlooked, and I, I would be surprised if he's if there's a drop off in form. I think. You yeah, know. no, it looks like he's got everything about him to be, yeah. a, you know, a good Premier League right back. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, I think that's a really good shout. Um, it's be interesting to see how. You know these players progress throughout the season because um, it could get worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'd be surprised if that was you know the team of the season. You know, come the end. Yeah. Of it. I think you know the top teams will sort of pick up their form and maybe their players will establish themselves a bit more. But I think looking at those two teams, it kind of just shows how well you know Everton and you know Aston Villa have done. Yeah. To start the season like they have. I mean, yeah, we have to say manager of the month, agree with the Premier League award, has to be Ancelotti, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, top of the league, it's hard, hard to disagree. Yeah, he, I mean, he's just an exceptional manager, and I'm surprised more big team, like you sort of the top European giants. I know he's managed some of them already, but yeah. I'm surprised that more of them don't go for him when he's, you know, he's not in the conversation when they're looking for a manager. Yeah, no, he kind of does sort of get forgotten about a little bit because, you know, he is, you know, brilliant and he mm. has managed some huge, huge teams and done well. But um, I think we, everyone said it at the time, it's a great appointment by Everton. Yeah. And he's just shown, you know, how good he is and how much he's getting out of that team. Yeah. Um, Not in the team of the month because this club form hasn't been that good. We do have to make a special shout out for Marcus Rashford being awarded MBE. Yeah. Can't put him in the team of the month for that, but I don't know, maybe the assistant or something. Because <laughs> what he's done getting you know, helping with food poverty in the UK is exceptional, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, he's a he's a real role model, you know, yeah. on and off the pitch and well deserved. You know, I don't think anyone can argue with that and he's just shown, you know, how much of a difference footballers can make, you know, when they use their yeah. platform for something like that. And, and especially to make such a big change when there's so much going on in the world and our government is not the best, allegedly. <laughs> um, it's not, you know, it's 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 refreshing to see that, isn't it? Yeah, especially, you know, footballers get a lot of bad press and, you know, we've spoken about it the last couple of weeks and it's yeah. really good to have someone like Rashford who is just showing how much of a difference he can make and yeah. ins- hopefully inspiring others to do the same. Yeah, it's, you know, one key good work. I'm sure he's, I think he's an ambassador for a lot of food poverty charities now as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be in, it'd be great to see maybe a few more footballers follow in that, using their platform to be far, far more vocal because I'm sure a lot of footballers do charity work and I'm not knocking 
any professional footballer just because they're not shouting about it. Like, yeah, no, you don't, I don't think anyone's thinking that. No, but if you have a platform to do that sort of thing, let's see more of it because we could. Rashford has shown that we you can make a change. Yeah, you you have the platform. So many people look up to you that you can make a change. So hopefully we see more of them get involved. Yeah, definitely. Well, from talking about the fun side of the Premier League, the good it can make, let's talk about now a bit of controversy in the Premier League. So during the back end of last week, um, Project Big Picture was brought up, being headed by Manchester United and Liverpool. I think probably the only time these two will ever work together. <laughs> in what is being played off as a power grab. Yeah, I mean, first of all, terrible name. Project Big Picture, you know, it sounds ridiculous. Um <laughs> And it it is just like that. It is a power grab by kind of this cabal of sort of top six teams to kind of consolidate their position there and kind of yeah. prevent them from ever dropping down. Yeah, it's. Um, I think if you can just take us through sort of the key points and how that why it's a power grab. Let's see. Yeah. Talk about why the Premier League big dogs and the ever presence. Because it's, I believe it's the nine longest serving teams is, yeah. per year, isn't it? Yeah, so there's, you know, I think you've got Southampton and Villa and Everton in there as well. Yeah. Um, why is it for them? Let's we'll get to how they're sugarcoating this for the lower leagues. Yeah. Um, what what is being pointed to as the power grab? Well, well, there's certain proposals which would um mean that that kind of group of the top six would have more kind of voting rights to make decisions for the Premier League and kind of change rules and potentially, you know, veto takeovers of other clubs. So, for example, you know, in the summer there was a lot of talk about Newcastle possibly having a takeover by um, some Saudi owners. Yeah. Which, you know, didn't go through for a number of reasons. But if something like that were to happen where, I, you know, a group of people with a lot of financial backing went to a Newcastle and wanted to take them over, there's potential that this top six could then veto that and prevent that happening. Not necessarily for moral reasons, but because they don't want to have another team get the kind of same financial um, backing yeah. as them. So, it, you know, it is kind of, it puts a lot of power in their hands and yeah. allows them to kind of force through rules and a kind of legislation that would mean that they kind of keep their positions and prevent others from rising up and challenging them. Yeah. So, I mean, we already see the financial power of the top six where, you know, if a team like... You know, Brighton, for example, we talked about Lamptey. You know, if he continues to perform and certain other players in the Brighton team continue to perform, with the money that the top six, ha- top six has, they go and buy those players. And it stops yeah. a team like Brighton or Southampton when they first joined the Premier League, um, or, well, return to the Premier League, I yeah. should say, stop them from continuing to grow. Yeah, it means teams can, you know, prevent clubs developing to you yeah. know, a top six challenger. You know, and you've seen it in rare circumstances with clubs like Wolves. Yeah. But they have a lot of financial backing behind them and weird kind of deals with other clubs, with their owners as well. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's a whole kind of different situation. But I think unless you have a very kind of specific kind of backing, yeah. you know, it's, it's very hard to challenge into the, into the top six. And this would make it even harder, potentially. Yeah. There is also involved in here, there's a £100 million gift for the FA. I mean, gift, that's a very... Different way to, to pronounce bribe, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, it's very clear what they're trying to do. You know, it is kind of a bribe. It's, it's making it very hard to refuse. You know, yeah. a lot of clubs are in financial trouble. 
and you know when a club offers you know a hundred million to potentially stop you know four or five clubs going out of business it's kind of hard to yeah. say no to that even if you disagree with what this will do to the top six in the Premier League part of the sugar coating we've seen for the EFL um, is that there is a £250 million bailout of the Football League which as you say stop clubs like Charlton who are um, currently in a bit of financial trouble going out of business yeah. no, Wigan are having issues and obviously we lost Berry, nearly lost Bolton yeah. um, we don't want to see it happen again after just the turmoil with Berry. what happened yeah. um, as well as that 25% of Premier League annual income will go to the EFL so financial support yeah which is a good thing you know we're not saying this part of it's bad you know yeah. the clubs need that money and it is better for them and if it, they could get it yeah and you know see more money in lower leagues may help develop more players in the lower leagues into better players yeah it could also you know potentially you know um, lower the disparity of you know quality between you know the championship and the Premier League or League yeah. 1 in the championship I mean I think in England we always pride our top four divisions on being highly competitive between the leagues it's sort of almost a case of anyone could beat anyone on their day yeah um, so I think that yeah might help keep it competitive and stop the you know maybe actually stop the top six pulling away too far yeah and or, then... or at least kind of you know a, a promote a team from the championship standing more of a chance of not immediately going back down yeah um, but speaking of relegations and promotions one change we have seen is that first of all, they're suggesting is that Premier League goes to 18 teams. Yeah. Where 18 and 17 place, definitely relegated, and 16th will be one of the playoff teams for the championship. So that's yeah. only two automatic promotion spaces in the championship and three playoff places. Do you think that's a good thing? Um, for me, I, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, I think it makes it similar to, you know, the Bundesliga in Germany. And I know yeah. the, the, you know, the playoff games there are, are huge, uh, you know, a really entertaining spectacle. So that I don't necessarily disagree with. Um, I think it that kind of depends on what we just talked about of if is the disparity between the championship and the Premier League too much, you know, will these playoff teams be able to take down a, you know, a Premier League team, you know, yeah. that has so much money already. See, because I... I see it as a bad thing, personally. For me, personally, if you're in the relegation spot and you get relegated at the end of the season, you do not deserve that chance to stay up. You had 38 games in a 20-team league. We had 34 in an 18-team league. You were not good enough across 34 games. You do not get to stay in that league just by winning one against a team who isn't even in your league. That's not. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, the other argument could be, you know, for the teams in the championship, you know, you had X amount of games to get into a promotion place and you didn't. So why should the teams in fourth and fifth have a chance to beat the team in third place, you know? See, I I just would... I think relegation is slightly different to a playoff. I think a playoff is you were the five, you were the four best teams. We've got one space left. Battle it out. I think that the playoff maybe needs a little restructure with four teams because it's you play them, you play them. So, okay, well, if we played them, we might have won the playoff. So there maybe needs to be a rethink, like, I don't know, a four-team, everyone plays six games mini-league, whoever comes top of the mini-league. So everyone plays each other twice. Whoever comes top of the league, they go up. I think that will work better for a playoff. Yeah. But 
I don't think that a relegated Premier League team should get a chance to stay up the league. If you had, if you wanted to, if you know, if you were good enough to stay in the league, you'd still be in it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't have necessarily a huge problem with that. I think it's interesting, um, and you know, it's one of those things where you can kind of mess around with the format. I think you know, every couple of years, and if it doesn't work out, and it's very clear that the Premier League teams are winning every time and they're not going down. Then maybe then it'll be like, well, it clearly isn't working. Let's go yeah. back to the old system. Yeah. But um, you know that I, I don't think that's necessarily terrible as a experiment to you know keep the Premier League interesting. Yeah, I mean, and one thing that I've seen there, just on the bottom of the key points list, we've got that I really heavily disagree with: season to start later and pre-season friendlies extended. <laughs> as a fan, don't make football start later. I want, I don't, we rarely want it to stop. Yeah, and pre-season is usually the least interesting part of it. Yeah, pre-season is... A, if there was maybe more glamour in pre-season tournaments, then maybe if winning a pre-season trophy meant something to the fans, because I don't, I don't think any fan will hand on heart say, yeah, I'm really glad I won that Audi Cup. Yeah, no, it's, it's not something fans care about. And it's, you know, pre-seasons to get players fit, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe if you need longer to get them fit that's you know an argument to make it longer yeah. but I don't think it should be made longer just so they can get more kind of sponsorship and have these kind of yeah. you know fake trophies to compete for I can understand giving players an extended break yeah I, I sympathise with that obviously international competitions there will be players who don't get as long as a break that is that's fine but from a fan's point of view it is that's being between a rock and a hard place because you want your best players fit and ready to go for the new season mm-hmm. but you don't want to have to wait so long for it so yeah, it's I th- tricky I think, and I think like we said I don't think that is the motivation behind it I think it is so they can have these you know pre-season tournaments and yeah. you know go to other countries to make Ex- money exhibition matches yeah. you know, stuff like when Pele was playing for Santos and they came and played Plymouth Argyle yeah. which Argyle won 3-2 just, just throwing it out there. Yeah, just saying. Um, but yeah, and you know, it's I don't know. I like you said, I don't want preseason any longer. You know, no. those those games are fun, but uh, sketch the real yeah. people. If 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 we had more high reputation, high value, high prestige games in the preseason that already exists, then fine. Yeah. But until that doesn't happen, you know, it's it's the big teams go on sponsored tours around continents you know around you know china the usa you know yeah. it's, and, it's and it's great for you know fans in those countries to be able to watch you know premier league teams but i think it's in a fine state as it is yeah but who's going to go on those big tours it's not going to be norwich or west brom i doubt yeah. they know where they are like they oh norwich doing a tour of america it's like oh norwich in houston texas i doubt they know who you are yeah i, I don't think todd cantwell is you know a huge star in the u.s no know? <laughs> um, but even Man United or Liverpool or Chelsea show up, they're going to get a high prestige game against LA Galaxy, which is going to make them a lot of money in America. Yeah, and helps contribute to this gap between the top six yeah. and the rest of the league. So don't change it. We like it how it is. And don't put the Premier League teams in the playoffs. We can disagree on that. <laughs> I'm going to stand but, by that. But they should give money to the EFL. Yeah, give money to the EFL. Help them because... It's a tragic thing when a city or a town loses its football team. We don't want to see any more of it. Yeah, yeah. We do We do agree on that. Yeah. Um, but it would be interesting to see. I've seen West Ham have um, said they're against it. Despite yeah. being one of the teams that would probably have a, vo- a 
sort of a larger voice. Well, I think I think West Ham would still manage to screw it up somehow. Yeah. <laughs> the way that club's run, you know, yeah. they've managed to end up relegated regardless. I mean, we'll just have to keep our ears to the ground on that one over the next sort of week or two and see whether it comes to that. I'm sure there's a vote. I think there's a vote coming up for it soon. Yeah, there will be at some point, yeah. So, just have to see what happens. Well, it's that time again, coming towards the end of the show, so we go to our ever-present segment of just predicting the big games from the weekend's fixtures. Of course, the Premier League returns, and there's some big games. Yeah, there is. Some very big games. Um, Merseyside derby between a, you know, an Everton team that are top of the league. Yeah. And if they win that, they go six points above Liverpool. And is there a you know a title challenge well and truly underway? Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing it again last time that... Last two times, I think, that Liverpool have been hammered by Aston Villa. Villa Everton won the league, then the old first division. Yeah, yeah. So, is this history repeating itself? Um, you know, uh, personally, I, I, I don't think um, Everton will go on to win the title. I might regret saying that. Um, it's, but I, I, think, I think top four is where they should be this yeah. year. It is too early to yeah. say, predict a title winner, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Um, I think this will be a really great game to watch. Yeah. And I think Everton will get a decent result. I don't think they'll win, but I could see a, a you know a two-two draw or something like that. Yeah. Which, considering Everton's recent history in um, the Merseyside derby, is a lot better than what they usually get. Yeah. Especially you know I think at Goodison Park they kind of get a draw fairly regularly. Yeah. I mean I'm a Liverpool supporter, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say just say my result. And then explain why. Because everyone will say it's just, oh, typical Liverpool supporter. Your team's not playing well. Because they aren't. Liverpool aren't playing at their best. And, but you're still backing them. That's not being a Liverpool supporter. That's being a fan. Um, yeah. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Liverpool. Um, and that is because I think Everson at home is always a tricky game with the fans there. Mm-hmm. I think without the fans there, it makes it it makes away days better for the away team. Yeah, definitely. It's easier to play when you're not surrounded in the stadium full of people baying for your blood. Yeah, especially on a derby day. Yeah, especially on a derby, one of your biggest games on the calendar. Um, I think Liverpool might pull away. I think, obviously, they've got a point to prove now after being hammered by Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, Still have nightmares about that. (laughs) Um, And Everton playing well, so it's not going to be an easy game. No, I, I think I think it will be tight. Um, I've gone for a draw, obviously, like I said, but yeah. I, I do think Liverpool will come at it knowing that they need to win. Yeah. Um, because uh, the, the, you know, if they do go six months clear, that's you know a big you know alarm bell should be ringing for yeah. Liverpool. And I think you know they'll want to make up for the last game, and also I think they'll have you know bigger stakes playing yeah. against Everton. And I think Henderson returning to the squad. I mean, I think there's a twenty percent difference in win rates with and without Henderson. I think something like seventy three percent with Henderson, fifty three without him. Yeah. In win um, win I, percentage. I, he's so key. He's maybe not the most technically gifted footballer in the team. You know, obviously Thiago, we're hoping is going to be back as well. Will recover yeah. from his coronavirus case. Um, might we might Mane might return, which you know full strength Liverpool side. So I think the lack of movement. Or type of movement, let's say that Mane provides. Yeah. It, we, it did miss. We did miss. Yeah, that. I mean, you know, Diego Jota only just you know signed for Liverpool, so he's still yeah. learning their system. So yeah, and he's I still think, a young player. Yeah, yeah, and I think if Mane is fit and you have a fully fit Liverpool side, 
they will probably get a good result. Yeah. But um, now, like I said about Henderson, you know, it's not necessarily about being the best player, but it's about being the best player for that system. Yeah. And he brings, you know, so much energy to that midfield that yeah. not a lot of many players could. And I, th- I think the international break maybe came at the right time for the Liverpool defence as well. Go yeah. away with your teams, play in your international game, just get away from it. If you if your team wins, great. I mean, I'm not Scotland winning. Yeah, Scotland beating Israel in a penalty shootout. It, every player in our back four has won their games internationally, and that's going to be a big boost to your confidence. Yeah. And I think you need that after getting hammered. Yeah, I think you know they they like you said they get to go away and they get to clear their heads and kind of refocus the next fixture. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Klopp would have liked them to maybe have some time to work on maybe the defensive shape against Everton, but it's pros and cons to either way. And yeah, I think regardless of what the result is, it's going to be a very entertaining, close game. Yeah. And of course, on Saturday, we also see Man City versus Arsenal, another sort of big game between the now traditional big six. Yeah. Um, how do you see that one going? Um, I'm, I'm going to go with something a bit controversial. I might go with a, a 2-0 win to the Arsenal, I think. Um, okay. Man City haven't started well. Arsenal have started well. Arsenal look like a different team against the top six than they have in previous years. And it's more interesting to predict results that might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe more on hope than judgment. Of, um, I think, you know, I like this Arsenal team. I think I maybe underestimated them at the start of the season. And yeah. I think, you know, it could be a good result for them and a Again, it's another entertaining game, and it's Arteta against Guardiola, and there's so many kind of narratives going around it. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to back Arsenal for this one. Yeah, um, I have to. I think I've I've got a back City. I've, it feels wrong to not back City. Yeah. Um, but we say we say that every time they play. Yeah. You know, we 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 definitely would have backed them against Leicester. Yeah. They conceded five goals. I, I'm going to go for a two-one to City. Um, and I, I would say on the same thing that Arsenal are going to have fun because there's no fans in the stadium, but Man City Stadium's quiet anyway, so <laughs> I, I don't think it'll make much of a difference. Never resist getting a little dig in. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, I, yeah, City, I think, have got a point to prove. And I, I said it after every game now that they've got a point to prove because they weren't good. But I think it does send a statement out if you, whichever top six team you you beat even if it's one that's rebuilding like Arsenal they're rebuilding and they're still uh, what you call a top team yeah yeah they, yeah. Are, they are good and um, again be an entertaining t- uh, entertaining match and yeah. um, I think if I am right it'll be a big problem for City to have already lost so many games yeah and you know the title race is wide, wide open right now I think City signing Ruben Diaz I think that's going to help them a lot because there's not going to be so much defensive frailty. Um, you, they've got what they need midfield and up, up front struggles a bit without Aguero or Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. Um, but you know you'd still look at City's midfield and attacking line and think Arsenal could struggle with that. Yeah, potentially, but um, you know I think there'll be goals in it. Um, and you know he's hoping one of us is right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the final game we've picked out is a London derby. It's Tottenham, been so impressive going forward, versus West Ham, who have got a manager who tre- currently has to treat it like football manager. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> has been better when 
when he's managing from home. Yeah. Um, Tottenham have been great. Yeah, they they have been. Um, they've performed really well. Maybe haven't quite got as many results as they possibly deserved. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it's hard to look past Tottenham. I know West Ham the last couple of games have got some really good results. But um, yeah, I I I'm a big fan of Mourinho. I'm a big fan of this Spurs side and. I backed them to do well, and I'm I'm gonna go with a three 0 win to Spurs. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. A three 0 um, Kane Son up front together. I don't think West Ham will be able to beat that. I mean, they've also got to contend with either Bergwin or Mora or yeah. Lamella. I mean, if Gareth Bale's potentially Gareth Bale if he's fit, yeah. um, if that if Gareth Bale joins the attack if he's fit, that's frightening. Yeah. Um, I've seen rumors, some reports. That Bale has really impressed the Spurs staff. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's like yeah, he is he's, a quality player. He's one of the like top players in the world when he actually gets played. Yeah, um, I think a fully motivated and fully fit Gareth Bale is one of the best players in the world. Yeah, I don't think we've really seen that consistently for a couple of years. And yeah, now he's back at a club that he loves and a manager that hopefully will get the best out of him. Yeah, could be a huge season for him again. Yeah, it's you know it'd be interesting to see that. It, I gen there does seem to be a thing that if Marie if uh, Moyes is on the touchline for West Ham, they don't seem to perform. Yeah. Um, it. So I think if he's back on the touchline, the players might be like, "Look, Gaffer, stay at home. We've got <laughs> this fella. All right. Yeah. Let us play. We'll do it." Um, and again, you can talk about the empty stadiums helping the away team. So maybe there's a goal. Maybe there's a goal in West Ham, but I just don't think that they'll be able to resist Tottenham. Yeah, no, I think you know the way they played against Man United, you know, he's a brave man to predict against them. Yeah, it's as uh, maybe the international break, unlike Liverpool for Tottenham, probably came at the wrong time. Yeah, when you you know they played four games in the space of a week, um, and then all the players go off onto international duty, whereas they may have had more time to recover. If it just stay Premier League, so it's more of a case of will Tottenham pick up from where they left off, and if so, can West Ham hold off? It's if Tottenham are in the form they were pre-international break. It's not what if they score, it's when. Yeah, and and, and how many? Yeah, and how many? Really important questions there. <laughs> yeah. that West Ham could struggle. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we're here again. Yeah. End of the show. End of episode seven. Got through a lot. Yeah, it was a, it was a big one. A lot, a lot going on for an international break. Yeah, usually they're quite little, quiet periods in football, and this this one's not quite been that. Yeah, no, it's all been you know going off behind the scenes. So it's yeah, it's been an interesting one, and uh, hopefully um, we get back to just talking about football. Yeah, um, we don't want to spend too much time on the politics because you know the FA UEFA. They don't have the best reputations yeah, anyway. They're, they're all as bad as each other. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please do follow us on Twitter at Armchair Managers. The uh, Twitter handle will be in the description below. Mm-hmm. Um, until then, hope you have a good week. Look after yourselves, and we'll see you in the next episode.